Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Scooney Pen subscribe, so you should as well. Got to give a quick Scooney Pen shout out. I am in the great state uh, of Ohio. He was a former Ohio State man, also from the North Shore in Massachusetts. So, I mean, it's it's kind of tying together where I'm currently at and where I've been, you know. So Scooney Pen, he should subscribe, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at, at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. A lot has transpired here, Taylor, since the last time we published an episode. We actually, this is new news to you, by the way. We actually have a new time slot on Dash Radio and nothing but hoops, uh, nothing but net, excuse me. So that's probably a bad way to start it. But we have a new time slot, I think, at p.m. So uh, to all of the listeners, the viewers who no longer have to stay up till 2 a.m., hello. And, and if this is your first time listening to Titch, welcome. You are now a theater goer. But that's f- the first news that I want to broach with you. Second, uh, since we last spoke, I have now a, a new dog owner. So we got a little Welsh terrier named Cashew. Uh, so that's been a bit of an adjustment. A lot of sleepless nights. But I, I must say, uh, you know, there has been fantastic about uh, taking care of her. I'm trying to do my part as well. But new dog. And then the shark, who is actually not here with us, he got married. It was kind of a surprise uh, wedding. He kept it under wraps. I'm pretty much best friends with the guy, and he gave me a FaceTime or a text right after, uh, right after he got married. And obviously, these are unique times, if you will. I'm sure we've heard that term a million times. But the shark, for him, uh, he's not on the program today, though, and I'm letting him get away with this because it's still – kind of like his honeymoon phase, if you will. Uh, the guy's out, he's, he's playing virtual poker. You know, he's been dogged in his pursuit to get poker players uh, for, for you know, his 
his fix can't join tonight on Titch, but you know what? I'll give the guy a break. So some big developments in the Titch world. So hold on though. So Shark's not joining us tonight because he's playing poker. That's what I took away from all of that. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, the guy, the guy is, is, is very dogged in his pursuit of who wants to play poker tonight. Let's schedule it here. Let's schedule it then. But when I say, Hey, let's schedule uh, a titch recording. It's like pulling teeth to get a response. His summer schedule as it relates to, this is why he's not a champion during the season. It's because he's not putting in the work in the off season. And then he just flies in here and goes, Oh, well, I disagree with this. And I disagree with that yet. Not having any, you know, anything to back that up because he wasn't here with us, but that's, that's fine. I guess I'll let that go. Considering that he got married. Actually, that's the, that's the second biggest thing. If he's still in the honeymoon, why is he just poker playing all day? Is like he's married now. So he's just ignoring his new wife and just playing poker all day. Wow. If true, that's a good question. I think he's playing poker and playing golf. Uh, and he actually said he's playing golf with his dad. So that's a good question. Uh, well, I mean, I can't blame him on the golf because I've been golfing literally like every day during this never-ending quarantine. Actually, looked it up today. We are kind of in the middle of like the number of days that the college basketball world has from the last game that we saw until the next game that we have. Um, so it's been like 112 days since the last basketball game was played, and we have something like 130 days until the Champions Classic is scheduled. So kind of wild that we're going to go 265 days essentially without college basketball. And that's if things uh, continue to go or hopefully go smoothly uh, considering the state that I'm in, you know, is currently spiking just like the rest of the country, but let's get back to some good news uh, in your dog, Cashy Winston, no Michigan state there. I am just so thrilled that you guys have become pup owners. And I did ask you a question today via text. I want to know a little more is, uh, remind me and the listeners on what floor you live on in Chicago. So we're on the third floor. Okay, that's not bad. That? That's not bad. Well, that's just no. That's just a lot of that's a lot of up and down during a yes. day, you know. So, but actually, if in your current work from home and you work from home every day, regardless of quarantine, that might not be a bad little excuse to just pop out for ten minutes, almost like a smoke break of sorts. Well, I think this. This was inevitable. Getting a dog was inevitable. And first of all, Cashew, Cashew Winston is fantastic. That's good. Uh, but yes, getting a dog was inevitable. And I think this was kind of the catalyst. This this quarantine, this COVID-19 was the catalyst in us actually pulling the trigger because we said, well, we're home now probably for the foreseeable future, regardless if things start to open up. I don't think employers are uh, necessarily ready to get everyone back into a confined space and using the same kitchen, everything like that. Uh, but yeah, this is absolutely an excuse for me to say, Hey, I got to go walk the dog. I got to go get some fresh air. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you know me, you know that I rarely, if ever call people by their actual names and that applies to pets as well. So obviously the actual name is cashew, but that's just another name cashew Winston that we're gonna have to throw into the repertoire uh, i also got cashew nut that is technically her last name i think and then uh like you had said cashew peanut tillman potentially that might be a stretch but we're going for it is and i don't think cashew is actually it isn't there some kind of like 
is it kind of like a tomato being a fruit situation? Is it a cashew that's not actually a nut or some shit like that? Or am I just making that up? That I don't know. I'm just thinking strictly like your bar, your bar nuts at the at the bar. Yeah, I think I called cashew honey roasted at one point as well, which is kind of her color, really. It is, yeah. Sprinkle, sprinkled a little. I, I can see that it's the summertime right now. She can might you be maybe a come come winter time? <laughs> can you maybe superimpose, or I can do this, I guess, uh, since I've upgraded my technologies from the 2008 era. Uh, was still using my old MacBook Pro for this podcast and, and my entire like real estate career. Uh, maybe I will superimpose a Cassius Winston jersey on Cashew that we can tweet out uh, when this episode comes out. Perhaps. I don't know. It's going to be up to you. It's your dog, kind of your show here. So I'm, I'm just going to we'll put it to. out there. and you, you can do what you want with it. Let's put it that way. I'll take that. So, uh, I, I mean, there's a lot of developments, though, since the last time we spoke to the theater goers here. I got a haircut. I'm feeling like a new man. Uh, I actually got new, new headphones, uh, Taylor, new computer, new equipment all across the board. Dog dad. Uh, Mark, the shark is, is married. So now that we've caught you up on what's happened in what, it's only been like two and a half weeks, right? Maybe, maybe three weeks. Now that, now that we've caught you all up, uh, let's go ahead and dive in and continue our top 50 countdown where we last left off was at number 30 and out of the big 10 at number 30, it's the Wisconsin Badgers, one national title four final fours, 19 conference titles, six Elite Eights, 10 Sweet Sixteens, and 24 NCAA tournaments. Now, if you've been with us for a while, not even since our inception, just maybe even the past couple months, you know that as Arizona guys, we have a huge uh, bone to pick with, with Wisconsin. They're kind of our daddies. I feel like Pedro Martinez, when he got rocked by the Yankees, he just basically said, I got to tip my cap and call him my daddies. Obviously, en route to two straight Final Fours, Wisconsin defeated Arizona. Uh, and actually, that's where a lot of their success has come from. Uh, so Wisconsin does come in here at number 30. And so much like the episode where we unveiled the Memphis Tigers, we figured you know we'd bring in someone very close, uh, much closer to Wisconsin basketball than us. In J.D. Wise, we've had him on previously. But before we get to him, Taylor, any thoughts on the Badgers? So uh, we just remember the two straight Final Fours that Arizona lost in the Elite Eight uh, to Wisconsin uh, to get to the, their Final Fours in 2014-2015. But Wisconsin actually beat Arizona, number one seed Arizona, in 2000 to get to the Final Four as well. Not in the Elite Eight. I think it was in the Sweet 16. So they have beat a number one, a number two, a number one seeded Arizona team uh, to get to their last three Final Fours, two of those in the Elite Eight, and one earlier than that. Um, my only you know, thought on Wisconsin, I'm sure this will be a big uh, thing that we'll talk about with JD, is uh, you know they had about a 45-year stretch of no success at all. In fact, they were probably the least successful major college basketball program in the country. And that's not hyperbole. That's they literally had eight winning seasons across a 45 year span um, between their national championship in 1941, um, a couple of nice years in there. And then all the way up until kind of their recent success with Dick Bennett and then uh, Bo Ryan. In fact, they only had two winning seasons in the big 10 
from 1947 to 1994, which was their tournament gap there. So we'll get into that more with JD. But, uh, you know, I think the newer college basketball fan will probably think that Wisconsin's a little low on our list. I'm sure JD will think that Wisconsin is, is a little low on our list because simply in our lifetimes, they've been really good. In our lifetime, they've been really good. Uh, if we were doing a current state of college basketball, they'd probably be a top 15. But again, this list is from, you know, 125 years back until now. Yeah. And I think another point that you had, had brought up prior to the show was this is probably our last team that we're going to dive into that wasn't great in other generations uh, or maybe even other eras. I shouldn't even say generations, decades, right? Wisconsin's really been awesome. Don't get me wrong for me. Side of that, like you had mentioned, not much, but we'll let JD come on and defend himself. So without further ado, here is former Wisconsin basketball player, JD Wise. All right. We now want to welcome back a good friend of the program. His second time on the program, former basketball player at Wisconsin, Madison, JD Wise. JD, what's going on, man? What, what have you been up to the last time since we last spoke? Oh, my goodness, man. He's trying to trying to dodge Girona. I'm ducking ducking no problems but i'm definitely ducking rona on a on a day-to-day basis um really just uh experiencing the whole unemployment spike firsthand uh taking taking that on with stride trying to get some side hustles going um i just recently met dennis rodman so that was an interesting like meeting of spirit party animals that i did not expect to happen on a random sunday afternoon um, and I'm getting a business off the ground geared towards uh, social social injustices. Got an app that we're going to use to combat police brutality that we're dropping in about a month. So trying to stay busy. I, uh, it's incredibly busy. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, <laughs> well, now look, I, I, mean, feel I, like a, I feel like a lazy piece of shit now. I've just been golfing <laughs> and shit now. And, I'm like, and I thought I was I'd selling houses. I thought I was doing good. JD's just putting the kibosh on all my you know, mental uh, wherewithal I thought I had. He's just put the kibosh on all that. You got to check out uh, Clarence Avant's story. If you ever seen Black, if you ever have the chance to check out Black Godfather on uh, on Netflix, a hundred thousand percent recommend that. That is literally my like blueprint for what I'm trying to kind of carry out moving forward. Jack of all trades. Trying to put paperwork to all the connections that you build throughout college and networking and all this. So, you know, oh, that, that's a that's a good way to approach it, especially during this this pandemic. Uh, look, we got you on here to discuss Wisconsin at thirty. We'll get into that in a second, but I completely forgot when I reached out to you initially to come on here. You had dropped two incredible name references. One just now with Dennis Rodman. The other was Jake Sokolides. I don't know how the hell that happened. So <laughs> let, let's let's do this in order first. Dennis Rodman, tell us the story when you met him. Was there an exchange? What happened? So this is about three Sundays ago. Uh, yeah, so I was. Uh, this is just after like leaving a protest in in Huntington Beach. I wanted to go to I wanted to go to Huntington Beach because it just has like the highest racial tension in Southern California. So I wanted to look folks in the eye and address things head on. But uh, we go to get um, my homegirl and I go to get some lunch afterwards. And 
um, getting a couple of drinks and dinner. we see David Spade like go in and out and it's like, I don't really want to talk to that dude because like he seems like he might kind of be a dick in person. Uh, and I don't want to look like a fanboy, although I am a fan. Uh, but then Dennis Rodman walked in and before like either one of us could say anything, he like randomly like points over towards us, seeing as I'm the only other black guy in the restaurant. I think that was our connection. Um, so he comes up to us, like gives me like a half pound, like goes up to grab a drink, comes back and he points at her and like takes his glasses off. He's like, is, uh, is this your black man? And I was like, uh, actually it's JD, but nice to meet you also. <laughs> we uh, like exchange, exchange like a couple like game of wits things with as much as you can with Robin before he like goes off into the distance thinking about like the spiritual realm again. Um, and Ended up being really cool. His, his uh, manager was super cool. And we ended up getting a table. He he had them set up a table in the parking lot in front of the of the bar that we were at because he didn't feel like being in the bar with a bunch of people. So we're just like drinking with the owner in the parking lot of this bar that we're at. Uh, eventually, he's just like, hey, he's clearly trying to like get with my homegirl. So I was just like, whatever. He just like kept, keeps like giving the temperature check of like, am I with her? I was like, no, dude, like shoot your shot type of deal. And uh, when uh, uh, it's like, top, I'm like, yo, I think I'm going to bounce. Like, you guys do your thing. He's like, no, 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 we're going to go to another bar altogether. He grabs like an Uber, <laughs> Uber Black XL. We're like waiting for him to sign autographs with people as people are walking past and whatnot. And um, we eventually hop in. He's like, you know what? Uh, forget the forget the bar. Let's go to a, go to Chase. Let's hit the bank. I got to grab some cash. I was like, all right, shit. I hope I'm not like going to end up in Dubai tonight. But I kind of hope I'm going to end up in Dubai tonight with Robin and Carmen, Ele- Carmen Electra. But um, once we so we get to that spot, I'm just like, yo, you're doing your autographs, all that stuff. I go to the grocery, go in the grocery store, go to the bathroom, come back out where uh, he goes into the grocery store after me, comes out with a handle of Tito's. Is like, hey, we're just going to hit my buddy's house party instead. It's like. That works for me, Dennis. <laughs> we we get to his buddy's place. He plops a mason jar down in front of me, turns the handle upside down for, for probably about a seven or eight shot drink and uh, slides it to me. He goes, you know what, James? I like your style. I like, uh, you know, you, you know, because you know how to break it down. So uh, why don't you sit down? We're, we're going to have a game of wits. You outsmart me. You uh, you uh, you teach me how to be a man. OK, teach me how to be a man. <laughs> so I sit down with Dennis Robin for like an hour just talking about whatever. He's like, don't ask me to like North Korea shit or like any of the last dance, nothing corny. Like ask me what you really want to know. I was like, yo, so of all the time that you've been famous or you've just been like on the rise, how do you know the people that have been around you that have actually had your best intent in mind, your best like wishes in mind, as opposed to the people who are just trying to vulture off of you because of your status? And he just like pauses for a second. He just starts like crying out the bottom of his sunglasses. He's like, I just want love. <laughs> I just want love. And I was like, bro, I think I just had an exclusive interview with Dennis Rod the worm and made him cry. So that was essentially the story. He dropped his back off. His manager hit me up the next day. He's a cool dude. And um, I put him in touch with my buddy who's a bar owner in Wisconsin. Uncle Bucks on third, across the street from Pfizer Forum. Uh, we're trying to put together an appearance for Dennis. Uh, and I'm just going to uh, grab the promoter title for that for that event, and that's how I met. And that's how I met Dennis Rock. I mean, how many side hustles do you have here? Also, by the way, uh, <laughs> your uh, 
I don't know what's funnier, the content of the story or your Rodman impersonation. <laughs> I mean, I don't even think we need to talk about Wisconsin. I think we could probably just, this is probably just a nice wrap on the interview right here. You know? <laughs> Teach, teach me how to be a man. <laughs> My favorite part of the day by far. And I think we got somewhere. I think we made progress on that mission. But I think that'll make for probably my fourth or fifth side hustle, man. Oh man, that's that's incredible. That's uh I don't even know where where else to go from there. I don't know. <laughs> I, I was going to say the only time, because I think he has a house here in Scottsdale. Did you ever see him out here at all? No, not at all. That was my first time. The The coolest person that I saw in Scottsdale is probably Jeff Jenkins, right fielder for the Milwaukee Brewers during my childhood. Shouts out to Jeff Jenkins, by the way. Took a picture in Bevy, but that's probably the highlight of the celebrities that I ran into out there. Dude. I was I was there. I remember that. I think the yeah. Kentucky Derby was showing. It was one of the yeah. I remember being like Jeff fucking Jenkins. All right. Everybody's like, who the fuck is he talking about? It's like, bro, obviously right fielder during the the late nineties Brewers, or sorry, left fielder for the late nineties Brewers. Who doesn't know this? Obviously, right. I think he told me you're the last fan that I have left <laughs> when, I, when I spoke to him. Um, but before we completely pivot from the Wisconsin basketball. How are you guys doing this ranking? Like fill me in on like what what input is needed from the the social liaison of the alma mater. So first and foremost, I just wanted to get your thoughts. So let me give you a little bit of background and context on how we calculated this. We basically took uh, different uh, statistical results that we thought mattered and weighted them. So obviously you got your national titles, final fours, elite eights, sweet 16s, uh, right. and then also NCAA tournament berths. And then we actually even took uh, best player and fan favorite. And so each one of those has a particular weightage, right? So final fours and NCAA or, and, and uh, titles, they're going to weigh more than just making the tournament. So yeah. that statistically is sort of how we spit out uh, our top 50. Then what we did from there was we actually deliberated. And so what I want to do and tell you there, James, is it wasn't just two Arizona guys. We had someone neutral. Uh, he went to BC, went to grad school at Tennessee. And I mean, so th to the best of my knowledge, that has absolutely zero to do with Wisconsin. So he was kind of our independent arbitrator. So I do want to let you know that uh, at 30, it wasn't strictly a Taylor and myself decision. So what I'm going to do is just open the floor for your general thoughts and reactions. My general reaction is just disrespect in, in general, which Wisconsin is very, very much so used to until we, we prove you know, who we are on a year-by-year -year basis. Like, oh, okay, they're a question mark, they're a question mark. And we have to beat people's ass every year within the conference and punish people until we actually get, we actually get the respect. So I expected this, but I'm still disappointed at the same time. Without knowing the other teams, there are a few things that I like considered before finalizing this list, if it's not finalized yet. Were you guys talking about pre-Jim Crow basketball or were black people allowed to play basketball while putting together your list? This is all time. And by the way, this, this bitch is fully baked, okay? This is fully baked. This is live. This is what you're dealing with. That is, that is perfect. So – 
that's all I needed to know. I more so focus on the the current times where there's been massive surges by the Wisconsin basketball team that have been unmatched by any other university. A few examples for examples. So since 1997, 15 times we've led the Big Ten in scoring defense. Defense wins games. Big Ten is arguably the best, if not one of the best conferences on a year-by-year basis. I'm not sure that there's much argument there. Uh, within that same time frame, a similar time frame, 16 straight seasons finishing in the top four of the Big Ten. Again, that's 2002 to 2017. We're talking about the full integration of basketball. We're talking about the NCAA hitting on on all cylinders. This is not a like 1920s game where I have Boomhauer and Hank Hill playing shooting guard and small forward at starting D one at starting D one guards. So again, I'm talking about current surges of Wisconsin basketball. One more set, 19 straight seasons in the NCAA tournament, and only one season as a double digit seed. The only time that we missed was 2017 after like offloading a monster, a monster run that uh, coming off of a monster run with Decker, Frank, Nigel Hayes, uh, all those guys. So we're talking about post Jim Crow basketball in the past decade where 18 and nine in NCAA with three one point losses. I don't think there's any other team with that, that amount of one point losses. If you look at the most notable, some of the most notable coaches in their records against Wisconsin, I'll just point out one. Uh, I'll open the floor up. Who do you guys find is currently the most notable coach in the Big Ten? Izzo. Yeah. I had a feeling that'd be a, there'd be a resounding answer of Tom Izzo. So Izzo. His lowest winning percentage is at Wisconsin, eight and thirteen. Indiana is the closest to that, with him being seven and fourteen. So the most, the most renowned coach in the Big Ten sees his hardest, sees his his largest obstacle within that conference, which is one of the best conferences in the country, at Wisconsin. So. Those are just a few of the things that I wanted to get off my chest that I don't think were taken into account, seeing as though it is skewed based off of the time period that we're going off of. I think we got to go 1960s, 1970s basketball in ahead because, again, I don't think that Boomhauer playing point guard would have been able to guard Jordan Tate. So we did have this discussion during and leading up to just even this interview with you. If we were doing from 2000 on, Wisconsin would be a pretty easily within the top 15 of college basketball programs in the country. That goes, that's, there's no real argument there. You know, three final fours in that amount of time, having beaten Arizona to get to all three of those final fours at some point during the tournament as well. Uh, the sweet 16 in 2000 is when they beat Arizona number one seeded Arizona. And then obviously in 14 and 15. So your stats are completely correct. And I don't think you're going to get much pushback from Subi or myself on that. Wisconsin has really uh, slided themselves into uh, one of the premier basketball destinations of the country today. Now, again, like you said, though, is where do we draw this line? And I'll let Subi uh, dive in after this. Even if we go back to 1960, Wisconsin didn't make a NCAA tournament until 1994, between 47 and 94. So even if you want to go back to 60, we're probably not moving them very far on this list. 
Because that's 34 years of not, no tournament action leading up to 1994. Subi, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you there, Taylor. I just don't think that the previous success in the 90s and, and prior uh, bodes well for Wisconsin right now. But, J.D., I'll let you retort because I mean you've 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 come correct it seems and you had a lot to say. On, I got a data guy. Messages. I got a data guy too. I got a Schwab. I got a guy. I got a guy we call the Schwab back in campus that uh, I had to I had to bounce some ideas off of coming into this. So shout out to to Grant. <laughs> hey, give us his give us give a full name. Give a full shout out to him at least. People can find him on Twitter or something. The Schwab. <laughs> this is his full name. But Grant Lockin works for ESPN. Good home of your mind. But oh shit, he actually works for ESPN. So we see we put out we don't just put out athletics, it's all about academics as well. And folks that are within the business realm. Side note, uh Wisconsin puts out the most CEOs out of any other public university in in the country. So I won't. I know this is all basketball related, but it's more than that. When you talk about the basketball team, you have to talk about the ambience that surrounds them, the university that surrounds them, and the people that surround them. And I don't think there's a better blend of academia, social aspect, uh, just being able to keep up with any other school raging and sports combined than Wisconsin. So I think you factor that in as well, but in a much more simple, in a much more simple fashion way to or way to look at it is. In that extended, that extended peak that Wisconsin had has had, which school has been better? If you're working from from bottom to top, um, I'm sure I, I'm not sure who's actually on the list, but the only people that I can think of whose peak has been better than almost we've our peak has been better than almost everybody's besides Georgetown in pro- probably Florida. So I think with that surge alone, again, I'm I'm pitching surge. Because, again, we didn't have that early success. We had to integrate the basketball team. We had to get, you know, some some Alondo Tuckers on there. We had to we had to get some Freddie Owens, some Devin Harris's on there. But one Michael, thing- Michael Finley, Michael Finley, Michael shouts out to Mike Finley, Twitter, Twitter, Avi, big bro. But but yes, if you factor in all of those, all those things and all of those streaks in the peaking that Wisconsin has done, I think it's only fair to get us into that 16 to 20 ish range. So, so you make a, you make a good point and, and I, who you guys are actually really um, aligned with, you have more final fours than they do, but in terms of when your peak success started and how it's continued is Gonzaga. You guys have almost started at the exact same year that 94 through 97 range. Gonzaga doesn't have the final fours that you guys do, but they've had the consistent wins, the consistent success, and, and in a lot of ways from, from out of nowhere. And this isn't, a, it's, this isn't meant to be a, a slight on Wisconsin, but it's the, the facts would back this up, that for, that for about a 40-year span, Wisconsin was probably the worst major college basketball program in the country. They only had eight winning seasons from 1945 until 1994. They only had two winning seasons in the Big Ten in that time period. That's less than like Northwestern during that time. And so it really is, uh, you know, it brings a lot of the points that or a lot of the discussion points that we wanted to talk about uh, up. And I guess one of those is that's got to is Bo Ryan the most important person in the history of basketball in the state of Wisconsin? 
that's when blood. he came. It's in 2000. It's when he came. Make, so. I want to. I want to make sure I address you. You make some very valid points, which is why I wanted to so- focus on you know the past 20, 30 years of the surge. <laughs> surge is what we're going off of here. So I understand. Prior to that, we were ragtag. So <laughs> right, sure. You understand that, which is why I would say not just Coach Ryan. I'd say it's a blend of Dick Bennett and Coach Ryan. Is the is really the staple behind? Are they're really the two staples behind that that transition, and the fact that you know Barry had made us such a powerhouse for football that they wanted to make sure that we were we were holding up our end of the bargain in basketball as well, and actually dedicating train sorry resources to the uh, and attention to the basketball program. So, yeah, so I would say a blend of those three those three guys: the Godfather, OG Barry, Dick Bennett, and Coach Ryan being the catalyst. So. JD, another thing that we often discuss here during this countdown is how if like one shot goes in, you're drastically moving up or down uh, on this list. If it wasn't for Grayson Allen seemingly coming out of nowhere, and that that was the world's introduction to Grayson Allen, <clears throat> excuse me, when he was a freshman on that Duke team. And I mean, it all really went downhill from him in terms of reputation-wise. He be he became one of the all-time most hated dookies, but if not for Grayson Allen, I truly think that you guys would actually be in that 20 to 25 range, but this is kind of just how sensitive uh, college basketball really is because in that same season, you defeated a, a previously unbeaten Kentucky, correct? Correct. I mean, I was at both of those games and <laughs> extremely, extremely heart wrenching games. And I, I completely agree. I think we get over that hump. Uh, that we've been just historically trying to get over if it wasn't for uh, Bart Simpson coming out of nowhere and balling, and balling out on us. So I, I will defend you in Wisconsin in saying almost exactly the same point Subi said is it, 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 we are so close between this 30 to 20 range. I mean, it is literally, and we, we discuss this on every episode and we'll continue to discuss that with, with the teams that are in front of you guys here that it is one or two shots for a bunch of these teams outside of the top 15, even that uh, might move you up like 10. I mean, you really no, look at Villa- winning, uh, like a game winning damn near half court, Florida, Florida bucket. Yeah. Chorizo. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I couldn't even think of the dude's name. Yeah. Portiosa, whatever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. That was in the air. I was in, um, What's the name of the tacos? Local Patron. I was, I was, local- I was there. With, I was with you on that one. Yeah. I was in the air. I turned around and walked out of the bar. <laughs> okay. So I got, I got to admit, right. I'm, I'm the only non-Wisconsin person in that bar at that time. And Probably. that shot, that shot goes in and I'm like, <laughs> yes! is there, <laughs> I'm, is I'm there internally like- celebrating the hardest I've ever had in my whole life. And I had to say, I had to say stoic and do nothing, you know. Is there like does, is there anything worse than seeing the ball like in the air and you're just like you know that's that's it? Dude, I, I don't think there's especially just the culmination of all the work, like the weight training, getting up at six o'clock in the damn morning every day, uh, trying your best to keep your your nose clean throughout the year, not like just trying to stay on mission and like stay together like obviously locker rooms can like faction off like so you have to just make an an asserted effort of just like staying together through all these random things whether it's everyday class stuff whether it's on the court and it all comes in a culmination to just a 
dunk, dunk, dunk in. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they, I hate losing more than I like winning to begin with. So, uh, yes, that probably is the deepest hurt there is. If you just look at look at Jimmy Butler when uh, Kawhi shot is going in. So, you know, as we talk about teams that, uh, you know, this, again, not a spoiler alert necessarily that that are ahead of Wisconsin, you look at a team like Villanova, for example, and how their recent success has probably hoisted them up 10 or 15 uh, spots, even probably 10-ish maybe. Uh, Wisconsin could easily do that in the next five years, you know, or even if they were to have... Wisconsin surges not equate to that same bump up that Villanova's got. Aside from them getting having the... Obviously, winning the Natty, being the well, that's go. the whole two, point. Two, yeah, two, that's two, the whole two, point. Of- <laughs> they, got they did it twice. <laughs> I mean, you are a player, right? And like, maybe you're out here to be on the court and make lifelong long bonds and all that shit. Us in the us in the crowd aren't out here to make lifelong bonds. We want to hang fucking banners, man. That's the whole point of the show here. You I know. know hey, I, I will. I will say though that Wisconsin, they beat they beat Nova the year that they didn't win. Correct. Correct. Didn't Wisconsin beat that Jalen Brunson senior year or whatever he was? Yep. Yes, sir. So again, just uh, there's just games that there's a couple, uh, you know, Tyus Jones buckets that are not, or no calls, or slow feet, not being able to keep it with Kaminsky, bashing him and not calling. But you can go back to one play. Like obviously, you know, hats off to everybody who. who I still think, given the the number of factuals that were brought to the table today, that constitute, constitutes at least, if we're talking about top 25, that's what everybody goes off of as the holy grail of basketball on a year-by-year basis. You see Wisconsin in that holy grail every single year, so I don't understand how they couldn't be in that all-time list, given the recent successes. However, I have to respect your show as a friend of the program at the end of the day. Dear friend of the program, but that's why we have you on, man, is to talk shop and to challenge some of the thinking. So you had mentioned some of the facts and some of the stats that we've brought up. Taylor had asked you about Bo Ryan, and you had mentioned that there were some other people very influential in uh, Wisconsin basketball. And that's not just the the Badgers, but also talking Marquette. That's also talking uh, the Bucks, obviously, professionally. But when you talk strictly Wisconsin Badgers basketball, uh, in terms of the best player to ever walk foot on, on Madison's campus. And this is what we do. Yeah. This is what we do for every team that that we've ranked. Uh, These are some of the tougher ones for us because we're not as close to the teams as let's say clearly you are the Mm -hmm. way who we decided on was Frank Kaminsky, a guy that led you to a national title who was the player of the year. Does Frank Kaminsky take goat of Wisconsin basketball? It's hard for him not to, honestly, given the tournament run, that, given the multiple tournament runs that he had, just his emergence out of "quote unquote" nowhere for the in the national eye. Um, I mean, you can't. It really only comes down to the folks that have won the you know Player of the Year that have been at Wisconsin. So I would, I would, it would be him or Orlando, really, at the end of the day. So, and I don't think anybody takes the cake from Frank, especially given. The NBA career he's had so far, which he's still emerging. He's going to have an amazing season this this upcoming uh, year. Actually, I don't, I don't know if they're in the bubble or not, but I know for a fact next year he's going to have a big year. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more than comfortable giving it to Big Fuchs. On the heels of that, 
we had uh, Sam Decker as a fan favorite. Now, fan favorite is more, like I said, what the, the, the fans are saying and what the teammates are saying. Who is Wisconsin's all-time fan favorite? And it, you can put yourself in there, too, if you want. I mean, I like to remain humble, but I don't, I don't know if there's ever been a, a social liaison that has also shot a thousand percent from the three-point line during his collegiate career. So they didn't call me Mr. 1000 for no reason. Three for three, baby. If I got in and got up, it went in. So I talk, I talk shit to Jordan Taylor all the time about that. I was like, technically, I'm a better three-point shooter all time than you <laughs> if, we're, if we're going off of skewed facts but facts nonetheless no that's not skewed facts those are those are just facts yeah that's it usually they say that you have to at least shoot 100 but for anybody who shot less than less than 23s your boys being able to link being able to link the, the party scene with the basketball scene with the the sorority scene with the i mean i don't know if there's more, if there's been more of a blue guy across the campus. Yeah, I mean that's that's more almost as important to team morale than anything is. So, <laughs> so I do want to ask you, and this is a, we, we kind of discussed this a little bit the last time you were on the podcast, and that is just Wisconsin basketball as a state. Subi just asked you about Wisconsin basketball as a as an individual program, but I want to ask you a little bit more about Wisconsin basketball as as a state. So, obviously, one of the other top basketball programs of all time is Marquette. Now, they had a lot or most of their success while Wisconsin basketball, University of Wisconsin basketball, had very little success. You are from Milwaukee, which is where Marquette's campus at is at. How is the relationship between Marquette's basketball program and the fans of Wisconsin's basketball program? The, the hierarchy of schools in Wisconsin is obviously University of Wisconsin number one. How do Marquette basketball fans view Wisconsin basketball fans and their program and vice versa? Uh, as a non-Madison or sorry, as a non-Marquette alum, I cannot fully give you that answer. But just the general sentiment that I was uh, that we received, there's a mutual respect there for sure. But they just know that we're big brother at the end of the day. And so there's that inferiority complex that you that you kind of sense. I'm sure you guys get the same thing ASU to U of A. So it's uh, just that you know, having to put your little brother in their place. And I had a feeling you would bring up Marquette, which is why I definitely want to make sure we, we take note of the fact that Tom Crean, during his stint at Illinois, sorry, uh, Indiana and Marquette, was 0-10 against Wisconsin while at Indiana. So I never saw him actually get a W while I was in school. Um, and then three and four during his tenure at Marquette. So again, while Wisconsin was surging, even Marquette couldn't beat us. And, and uh, you know, that's some good friendly fire there for Tom Crean too. We, <laughs> we did bring up a little bit of Tom Crean later, uh, later he's in the show. For a reason. He, say that again. I said he's, he frequently stormed past the handshake for a reason. I believe that Tom Crean. Tom Crean seems like that kind of guy. Anyone who drinks like Coca Cola on the sidelines is a lunatic. As a coach, like I, I think he's a Diet Coke kind of guy. Like him and Jeff Van Gundy were Diet Coke guys. I think that's the highest level of salt I've seen outside of physically holding a Morton's package. So hold on, let me let me dive in here since you brought up a Van Gundy. You know what I didn't realize is that Stan Van Gundy was the Wisconsin basketball coach before Dick Bennett. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Dick got us there, though. Dick got us well, there. Sure. No, I know. I just he's yeah, just yeah, one of those yeah. random interim guys that you look and you're like, oh shit, yeah. I guess everybody had to start doing something somewhere, you know. He's nice with the handles too. Have you ever seen his drill work in front of his team? He still got it. <laughs> he does. So I want to pivot here a little bit, JD, and we like to keep it light here on the program. But yeah, fact sure. of the matter is that we are currently living in you know the the. the apex of the black lives matter movement you were a black student athlete so i what what i want you to do is just tell us some of your thoughts and your sentiments when you were in school playing for you know in a state like wisconsin uh playing as a a black student athlete i want you to just sort of walk us through what some of your thoughts were during that time when you were uh, in school and now i hate to say it like this eight nine years later we're not we're not that young but now that you've sort of been removed from that time uh have you has has your perception or your thoughts changed at all so just want to open it up to discussion in that respect all right and i i appreciate you even i appreciate you using your platform to to get some of this out into the open as well so with that i would say the police that murdered Breonna Taylor need to be arrested. The number is 502-735-1784 if you want to make calls. Um, first and foremost, I need to get that off my chest because there's just been just a lack of there's a lack of accountability in in general. And I think it seeps into not only from police culture with the black community and that distrust, but it happens in the student body as well. We're just taught to kind of shrug it off. You jo- I always was a big, I've always just been a sarcastic guy. So I just kind of let things kind of fall to the wayside, but there's really no room for tolerance of that in any way, shape or form moving forward. The, um, the real kind of general sentiment is, or used to, was when I was there is you kind of know your place as an athlete. You constantly have students saying, you know, we pay for your we pay for your school, just play basketball, just shut up and dribble, shut up and dribble type of mentality. But I think everybody's quickly realizing through this great awakening that's happening is that, you know, this isn't new to me personally. There's still a lot of things I need to educate myself on. But, you know, I had um, uh, buddies of mine who were jumped by, jumped by groups of white guys, spat on, like we had to go regulate uh, type of things happen while I was at Wisconsin. There's no in Wisconsin. It's a 90 it's a 90 percent white state. It's about 10 percent minority state. I come from the one corner of the state where minorities actually live. So it's more of just like the the veiled racism is hidden in like acting cordial, acting polite. So you kind of you lot you let a lot of things slide. So I just implore people to look internally first and figure out how they've been contributing or how they might you know, might not call people out in everyday situations for doing racial, for doing racist things, for saying racist things before, um, you know, they look outward and try to educate other folks. That could be, you know, as simple as watching 13th on on Netflix to get a start. Uh, that could be as simple as, you know, reading, reading the various uh, amounts of literature that are out there by black authors like James Baldwin, who have focused on these things since the 60s. Um, you know, looking up, re- reading up on Angela Davis, who was on the FBI's um, FBI's top five watch list because she was fighting for uh, the rights of the black community. So there's a lot of different avenues that folks can take to um, to educate themselves. I just sincerely hope that people actually take time out of their day to do that, as opposed to coming with conflict or trying to debate folks that have been experiencing these things for their entire lifetime. At the end of the day, we're all driving towards the same thing. We all have love for each other, but we need to call each other out on our bullshit up to this point because as Coach K put, put for the past 
four centuries, we've been taking the easier route. We've been taking the wrong route just because it's easier the past four centuries. So that's really my my take on it. No, I think that's all beautifully said and well said. And uh, I guess the only other thing I would follow up is do you want to uh, do you have a plug for your app that you have going here that kind of supports what you just said or is, is inspired by what you just said? It's 100 percent inspired by uh, what I was just saying. It really, really the idea came uh, while I was collaborating with a buddy of mine who runs a he runs a virtual reality cybersecurity company by the name of Three Data. Uh, they're on the verge of like some cutting edge tech. It's essentially Jarvis. Uh, if you follow if you follow Marvel or follow Tony Stark, he's actually created that in VR. So he reached out to me. He wanted something that he could a company that he could start up after he exit. Well, if he um, sorry that he could be a part of as he's getting this uh, kind of in its autopilot, autopilot mode. So after just some brainstorming, we came up with a, a grassroots community policing app. Uh, we're going to call it beacon. And what's going to start with is a, a wristband. If you think about it, like a, like a Bruce Wayne type of tech, where if I feel like I'm in distress, similar to that shortcut that they have for Siri, if I feel like I'm in distress, if I'm a black man being pulled over, I'm a woman that's in a modeling gig that might just feel uncomfortable with the way that the photographer is, is, is acting. There, there's various, you know, gay trans folks feel uncomfortable. There's a general sense of just not feeling safe right now. Hit this, it's going to shoot out a, a, essentially a bat signal to either your emergency contacts or their community as a whole. Um, and it's also going to live stream to that group in addition to your IG live or Facebook live. So if you think of like a personal, a personal Amber alert, alert out to your emergency contacts in times of distress. So hopefully it's going to curb a lot of the behavior that folks haven't been held account, accountable for. And the idea came from seeing that second angle. If you remember, a lot of people saw that first angle of George Floyd, where there's the uh, Chauvin was on top of him. You see the, you see the police van, you don't see anybody, any of the other officers, those other three officers wouldn't have been held accountable if there wasn't that back angle or that second person that was, that was taping or, or, um, or took the picture. So uh, the idea behind it is really encouraging folks to stand up for each other, pull up for each other when things like this are happening, add that additional video evidence, because right now in the past five years, 90% of the uh, fatal encounters with the police have gone without any video evidence whatsoever. And that's something I find completely unacceptable. It leads to false reports. It leads to, um, at least to just falsifying evidence in general, as you can, as you saw, they said George Floyd overdosed from being on to being on to me amphetamines, not that he got choked out. So it eliminates a lot of the, he said, she said, and just gives people a fighting chance and getting justice. So I uh, didn't want to, you know, hear what was happening uh, on the frontier. I didn't want to see what was happening. I wanted to make some shit happen. So we decided to make some shit happen and, and put it together. So it's really the the premise. We're looking at actually getting off the ground, getting some pre-orders going within the next month or so. But there's a lot that goes into a business that's that technical that we have to get off the that we have to get off the ground to start with. Yeah, makes complete sense. I think that was very well put. Keep at it. Keep working hard, man. I think you're doing some great things. And you know, maybe next time we have you on. We'll see actually next year or two years down the road, whenever we maybe revisit this list, we'll see if Wisconsin can uh, climb up the ladder, but you're doing some fantastic stuff, obviously uh, in, in the community and obviously in your, during, during this time right now. So JD, man, always appreciate the time and thanks for coming on. Love you guys. Go Badgers. 
All right, we want to thank JD for providing some insight into where he thinks Wisconsin should have ranked, uh, some of the experiences that that he had as well. So always a good time to have Mr. Wise onto the program. Let's continue to chug along, though. Uh, at 29, we have the Maryland Terrapins out of the Big Ten. I'm going to let you guys know right now, this is a very Big Ten-centric episode. Uh, this will be a lot of Midwestern teams with some uh, – you know, mid-Atlantic team. So we've already got Wisconsin. Now we can move on to Maryland, who has one national title, two final fours, seven conference titles, five elite eights, 14 sweet 16s, and 28 NCAA tournaments. So here are a couple of my thoughts, Taylor, on Maryland. Another one of those teams that has realigned conferences, but it's not necessarily switching from one tough conference to an easier one. Uh, Maryland did most of their damage in the ACC and now currently in the Big Ten. A lot of people thought this was Mark Turgeon's best team this past year since he's been there in College Park, but you and I kind of aligned that we've never really been or bought into Turgeon at all. I know the Shark was a big Terps fan uh, this past year, but Anthony Cowan, he was great, but I never, I mean, th- he, this team probably was Turgeon's best. Uh, best chance at maybe a final four or a deep run, but Maryland just as a program kind of reminds me not necessarily Taylor of the redheaded stepchild, but they're also not the most popular kid in the family. I was trying to make a Brady bunch reference here. I was trying to make some sort of alignment there, uh, but I couldn't necessarily come up with one, like not like not super popular, like, like Jan, was she super popular, but not like Cindy. I think her name was Cindy, who was the youngest one, just somewhere that, that just sort of, medals in the middle they weren't you know they were kind of like the runt of the big dog litter in the acc so not just the runt of the litter like they're better than a georgia tech they're better than an nc state i'd even say they're better than a than a wake forest but they're not necessarily a duke or a carolina uh of course to give them their plaudits they did obviously win a title with juan dixon who's arguably one of the coolest players to ever play college basketball if you're our age you grew up with the legend of Juan Dixon and also Lonnie Baxter, him and Sean may kind of made it fashionable for fat guys to be starters on and win national titles. And I know it took me this long, but you cannot speak about Maryland basketball without talking about Gary Williams. So those are a few of my initial thoughts there on the Terps. Taylor, I'll bring you in now. We're just going to leave out Steve Blake from that discussion as well. You can't really have a Juan Dixon, my bad. A Juan Dixon without his backcourt mate. Steve Blake, um, you know, it is interesting to look at, uh, you know, we, we compare like conference titles and whatnot, despite being one of the founding members of the ACC, they only won five conference titles from 1958 until uh, when, when did they leave the, the ACC 2016 in that era? Regardless, 14. Yeah. Re- re- yeah. Regardless, yeah. five across that era is not that good. In fact, they only have uh, seven, I think, is that what you said? Seven conference titles total which is really low compared to even a team like wisconsin which we just talked about uh it's tough though because you look and you say okay so you also are competing against spoiler alert two of the top you know 10 college basketball programs if not higher of all time in duke and north carolina i'm sure that's not an actual spoiler alert um so that's tough i do like maryland I think more than maybe the normal person was from a fan standpoint. I think it has to do with the fact that just my formative years of becoming a college basketball fan were those 2001, 2002 teams. Uh, They actually went to the 2002 final four uh, as well. So back to back. 
Um, and I just remember, as he said, those Gary Williams teams. And maybe I think of them higher simply because I watch Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter every night. And he toes the Maryland line. Or, you know, he, he brings the Maryland bandwagon up on every uh, every episode almost, which I like because we do that with our alma mater as well. Uh, I think that the only thing that's holding Maryland back from being higher on this list is, like I said, the conference uh, titles. And they only went to two Final Fours during that one era. They've been good across many eras, from Len Bias back in those days all the way up through even today, like he said, in Mark Turgeon. Uh, they have a more recent national title, which is probably the argument that you could say, uh, you know, why they're maybe ahead of Wisconsin. And they have been better across multiple eras, which is also why they're one spot ahead of uh, Wisconsin, in my opinion. They have, you know, great fans. They're a great current college basketball program, and they've been pretty consistent over the last 50, 60 years. I think a lot of what makes me attracted to Maryland is that they were kind of the thorn in the side a little bit of Duke and also Carolina uh, to some extent, but mostly Duke. I mean, I think a lot of people remember that steal. I think it was Steve Blake on Jay Williams in the Cole Center, which, I mean, the Cole Center uh, was one of the greatest arenas or venues for basketball in the early 2000s. Um, and keep me honest, I believe it was called the Cole Center there on, on Maryland's campus. But, uh, I mean, I... Steve Blake, you had mentioned there's a viral clip of him. Uh, he, he didn't take shit from anyone. I don't know if you've seen this, but Steve Blake in practice, uh, I think someone tried to pick on him, and Steve Blake just said he wasn't having it, started throwing throwing hands as well. So Maryland basketball, I, I just associate with a team that was very gritty. They were still a lot of fun to watch, and they've given up some great moments in, from a great conference. I mean, the pedigree for Maryland, I think, is there. It's just somewhere a little bit below the Carolinas and the Dukes, but still somewhere above the NC States and the Georgia Techs. Uh, and who could forget, I think it was Drew Nickel, Drew Nicholas, maybe, or Drew Nicholson. I think one of those two, Drew Nicholas, uh, hitting a game-winning shot in the tournament with some extremely baggy uh, shorts and, and, and uniforms. So the Maryland Terrapins, man, I, I, I think they're as of late, I think they deserve a better coach, to be honest with you. Uh, I think someone other than Turgeon can recruit in a place like Maryland. Uh, but right now he's, I think he's enjoying enough success where he, his seat might be a little hot, but this past season was obviously his best season. So I just want to make this distinction that because we just talked about Wisconsin, whose home arena is the Cole Center, the K-O-H-L Center. We're talking about the Cole Fieldhouse, the C-O-L-E. Cole Fieldhouse. Fieldhouse, yes, back in Maryland's day. Now they play in the Xfinity Center, which is big, like NBA-type arena. Uh, yeah, Turgeon is almost like I – don't, I don't love Turgeon, but he's almost like the perfect coach for where Maryland is on this list, right? He's pretty above average. And it would be a good coach for 95% of the teams. And, but that's about where we are on our all-time great list is about that part of the list where there's still about 5% of college basketball teams above Maryland, give or take. So uh, I think they could probably do better than um, Turgeon, given how good Gary Williams was. And, you know, they're obviously they're a great crowd. They're a great arena. They have some good facilities, a, a hotbed for recruiting there in the DMV. Um, I think that the problem is though, is when you're in the big 10 and the ACC and those type of 
uh, uh, that type of competition, you're also competing for recruits against that. So you're directly competing with the North Carolinas, the Dukes, the Michigan States, the so on and so forth. And I'm not sure that they can compete with those guys quite as, you know, they're not exactly a one and done type of school. So I don't know how that is going to persist as we've seen a number of high level uh, prospects uh, decide not to go to college. So we'll see maybe how that shifts in the next coming years. And maybe that will help a school like Maryland, where if nobody's getting one and done anymore, then maybe they'll be able to attract some of those two to three to four year guys from that hotbed of recruiting and develop them. But I'm just not sure, like you said, not to be the dead horse. I'm just not sure Turgeon is that great of a developer. Yeah. I, and I think a few of the names that pop out as well during the Maryland years, you think of Grievous Vasquez, some of their uniforms I think of are really cool as well. Uh, you know, they had those all yellow uniforms uh, during the area. And I think this was the Vasquez era during the era where they had super tight tops, but, basically parachutes for shorts um, and, and a DJ strawberry can't forget him. Uh, Daryl strawberry. Son wow. played for Maryland. Wow. As well. Yeah. Well, the Maryland yeah. flag is great. So they, they have that going for them as well. <laughs> I don't know if that, where that ranks on our list of intangibles here, but the Maryland flag is great and they make great use of it in their jerseys helps that under armor is, you know, they're, as Nike is to Oregon under armor is to Maryland. So pretty helpful for them that they have that backing as well. Here's a real deep cut for you, Taylor. Do you remember a guy named Dave Neal for Maryland? Uh, you're going to have to keep going. Dave Neal was kind of like the, I mean, this is a stretch of a comparison because Bonzi Colson was a ball player, but he like was the white Bonzi Colson. Dave Neal was just this undersized stub of, of a big man for Maryland. And I think he was on the Grievous teams. And I'm, I'm pretty sure him and Vasquez were like the same height. I mean, Neil would obviously be undersized for his position. Vasquez was kind of oversized uh, to play the point guard position, which I think is what he played. But yeah, I mean, some of the names that Maryland had uh, are, are pretty hilarious. But Maryland coming in there at uh, number 29. Let's continue in the Big Ten. Number 28 is Purdue. Uh, They've enjoyed some success here recently, uh, and we'll we'll take a look at that here in a second. But Purdue with zero national titles, two Final Fours, 24 conference titles. Remember that. Five Elite Eights, 12 Sweet Sixteens, and 31 NCAA tournaments. The Purdue Boilermakers coming in at 28. Uh, like I had said, they've enjoyed some success here recently, and they were a freak play away from going to the Final Four and actually beating Virginia. <laughs> And so when you think of the Boilermakers, they really have some some really solid college basketball players, uh, but nobody really in the league that pops off the page. I, I guess the closest one you could say is a Glenn Big Dog Robinson, but some of the solid players include recently uh, Jawan Johnson. They include a guy like Carson Edwards. They include a guy uh, like uh, Biggie, Biggie Swanigan, right? Even Matt Harms, who just transferred to BYU this offseason. Uh uh, AJ Hammonds was a good ball player for Purdue. None of them really made any damage though in the league. They're kind of a team Purdue is that doesn't get enough credit also for losing in heartbreaking fashion. They lost to little rock uh, in the first round in 2016 in double overtime. And I think that they were highest uh, during the regular season ranked at like nine. They lost to Cincinnati the previous round in the set or excuse me, the previous year in the second round. 
So Purdue, I think, is a team that you know a lot of people don't really understand their plight. I don't think a lot of people understand how brutal it's been for them. Uh, and I think two years ago, that Mamadi Diakite, Mamadi Diakite shot was just outrageous. I don't think Mamadou Diakite could hit free throws, but when it comes down to doing a little flick shot uh, from the elbow-ish area to go to the Final Four, or keep the game alive. That wasn't even to go to the Final Four. That was just to keep the game alive. Purdue had it made. Carson Edwards was uh, – oh, the block is hot right now here in Dayton, Ohio. I don't know if you can hear that. But uh, Carson Edwards was on an absolute tear. Ryan Klein was playing out of his tits. He single-handedly beat Tennessee earlier in that tournament. Purdue was an incredibly dangerous team, and they just came up so unlucky. And it wasn't wasn't there – or no, I think that was the Auburn game. But Purdue uh, coming in at 28. Taylor, what are your thoughts on the Boilermakers? There's probably been no more consistent team in the history of college basketball that has less top-end success than Purdue. They have the most – uh, conference titles of any team in the Big Ten. In fact, they have a winning record against every single team in the Big Ten other than Ohio State. And their record against Ohio State is 88 and 90. So it's not like they're far off from having a winning record against arguably the best or second best college basketball uh, conference in the country. And yet they have two Final Fours and they haven't been to the Final Four in 40 years, despite making almost more tournaments than anybody else, having more conference titles than anybody else. Uh, You know, they seemingly advance to the Sweet 16 kind of like every other year type of deal. But it's just crazy yet. You can pencil them into the tournament every single year, and you can sharpie them out by the second weekend every single year. And it's interesting, and I'm not sure... I'm not sure the why behind that because it's not like they haven't had the good good coaching. It's not like they don't have a great fan base. It's not like they don't have all of the necessary uh, attributes to a highly successful college basketball program. If they win one, two, three titles across this era, they are so much further up our list than they are here. The reason that they're at 20, we're at 28, right? The only reason they're 28 is because they never won a title. If they had even one or two, even Wisconsin threw one in in 1941, even Oregon threw one in 1939 or whatever. Um, You look at all of the people who have been a part of their program from Gene Cady and Matt Painter, all the way back to John Wooden as a basketball player there, probably their most famous alum, really. Could, could you imagine if they would have actually hired John Wooden as their basketball coach, not whoever was their basketball coach in like 1935, but even John Wooden won the national player of the year trophy twice as a player. So they have just a, a, a real un- fucking trophies. Does John Wooden have good God. Well, yeah, I mean, it is the Wooden award, right? So it's not, the, suppose, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not. The, and funny enough, it's probably not the Wooden award because of his coaching pedigree. It's probably the Wooden award because of his two time player of the year. Uh, winner. Uh, you know, Matt Painter's a great coach and he's pretty indicative of their program, which is really successful every single year. But you never think of Matt Painter as one of the best pro- coaches in the country. And you never think of Purdue as one of the top programs in the country. You think of them as like, kind of like you said, they're like, you probably look at Purdue as like the 14th ranked team in the country every year, all year. Right. But never you never pick them to like the final four 
I've picked NC State to the fucking Final Four 30 times. I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever picked Purdue to the Final Four. And I don't know why. They just don't seem to have that top-end success. I, it, and that's why I really wanted to highlight them being as one of the teams. It, 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 that's the thing. This is an eye-opening process for us, right, Taylor? We see teams where we're like, oh, I didn't know they had that much success. Or, oh, I didn't know that they had X amount of conference titles. Uh this many elite eights, things like that. I genuinely don't think though, that people understand the plight of Purdue. That's going to be something I got to get that trending hashtag POP plight of Purdue because they have, they have the base is, is just a horror show. That's what, I mean, it's just that one thing that they can't put together makes them, essentially in uh, at 28 which is where they're at right now Purdue basketball uh you know they just got to break through and i think guys like Matt Painter guys like Sean Miller they need those final fours for people to start thinking about them like you you had mentioned for not that they're not great coaches or even good coaches just have them front of mind or top of mind cuz you're right nobody th- immediately knee-jerk reaction goes straight to to Matt Painter. And it's not easy doing that in that conference. I mean, for years, Matt Painter had to go up against uh, the dawn of the Big Ten basketball conference coaching in, in probably Tom Izzo, Beeline in Michigan as well, Bo Ryan at Wisconsin. He actually broke through. So, uh, you know, Purdue is – they've just had the teams to do it. I truly feel that they have had the teams to do it. But they've just been been part of some shit luck, and I really can't stress it enough. I mean, it's, it was proof positive against that UVA team, which was probably a team of destiny and probably deserves some breaks of their own. But Purdue's got to be saying, or a fan base or Purdue's got to be saying, "Well, hey, man, what the hell?" Like, and and they're probably also saying to themselves, "You know what? We've definitely been better than Indiana, their arch rival, the past ten or so years." I don't think that's really been up for debate. They've at all. dominated. They've but dominated them. They've dominated. Yeah. They've killed Indiana. Of course, head to head. But if I'm a Hoosier fan, I'm like, look, man, we're not a dormant basketball program. And Purdue's never really been a dead either. But if you're not taking advantage of this time that you're dominating the Hoosiers, I mean, if I'm a Hoosiers fan, I'm still just going to be saying, okay, great. The furthest you went is an Elite Eight. I think like Sweet 16. Uh, or excuse me, I think Cody Zeller and, and Tom Crean went to the Sweet 16 with and, and Victor Oladipo. So in terms of tournament success, it's really not like Purdue's dominated uh, the Hoosiers. No, because the Hoosiers can just say, well, our five national championship trophies have a lot more to do with you know college basketball success than y- your 24 conference titles. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, there's even a number of people we haven't talked about on this, you know, like Robbie Hummel, who was there for 35 years. Um, you, they, they have, I mean, how many ACL city tear at Purdue? Four? Numerous. Maybe a little more. Probably yeah, more numerous. years than he had eligibility, honestly. Here's a little quiz for you. Uh, just because we both uh, have mutual dis- disdain for this person. Uh, do you know who the Purdue all-time leader in three-point percentage is? Uh, 
Dakota Mathias. Quanzo Martin, of all people. Is it really? Forty-five <laughs> yeah. percent wow. from behind the line. Um, where does Ryan Klein? Where does Ryan Klein show up on that list? Because that boy oh, was a I, sharpshooter. I don't even know. Uh, I, I'd have all to right. pull that. I, I didn't know I, if you I, ever I, looked up. I apologize. Um, who do we have as Purdue's best player of all time? Yeah, so I think let's real quick. I think we forgot to do that with Maryland. Best player for Maryland was not former number one overall pick Joe Smith and fan favorite Juan Dixon. We obviously discussed him. Best player for Purdue is the big dog, right? It's got to be the big dog, Glenn Robinson. I mean, there are some others that you can make the case for, but I think in terms of collegiate success, production, and also obviously what he did in the NBA, big dog's a pretty good pick. Do you have anyone else in mind? Um, no, uh, Caleb Swanigan would be probably another one up there. He was a national player of the year. He didn't, wasn't consensus. He won like the AP national player of the year, I think. Um, but again, that's another team that just, why couldn't, why didn't they go further? They'd like the national player of the year. Uh, their all-time leading scorer is Rick Mount, uh, who played without a three-point line, but he was an, an NBA guy back in the 60s. The, the funny part is, is, we probably could have had this discussion. Just pick an era, and we could have had the same exact discussion about Purdue because they continually to have they continually had NBA players. They continually had great coaches. You could have gone all the way back to the fifties and had the same exact discussion. When and it's like, oh well, when's Purdue going to break through? And we're we're still having that same discussion now in two thousand twenty. Remember Chris Kramer? I think he's a fan favorite of. Purdue basketball fans because he was basically a football player playing basketball. Uh, he was just a tough nose guy. But uh, in terms of fan favorites, also you look at Carson Edwards. I think you could also very strongly make the case for Biggie Swanigan because of his story, right? I think uh, he he grew up in not not the most friendly uh, friendliest of environments. He was very overweight. But the body transformation that he went through, nothing short of remarkable. And turning himself from uh, I mean, straight up unhealthy to a Division One basketball player is amazing. Then to to turn his body into one of the best players in the entire country, nothing short of tremendous. Then he got drafted. So the story of Swanigan is, and he's he's been nothing but humble, and 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 he seems like a very nice guy. So Caleb Swanigan uh, is definitely a fan favorite of mine, just in terms of any story in college basketball that I can really remember. So I, I completely agree, and I loved that Purdue team as well. I just want to point out that uh, Purdue has 34 All-Americans for a second or third team, which includes 19 consensus first-team All-Americans, and they have, like, no Final Fours and, or whatever, you know, two Final Fours. That's a lot of having some of the best players, not, not like – some of the best players, like the literal best players in college basketball, without having one of them just pull you, Allen Iverson in the Sixers pull you to at least a Final Four type of deal. It's they have the dudes, they have the coaching. I mean, I the Shark might have brought this up. Uh, I forget who exactly it was. I don't think it was Purdue, but he brought up just the succession in coaches, right for for programs. I mean, Purdue for the better part of fuck like half a century you've been blessed with i guess matt painter and obviously gene katie uh, i i couldn't tell did did painter take over for katie i'm not sure yeah, if there was gene, did he gene katie went to uh or took over in 1980 
Okay, so and and what literally is that, forty years. And, yeah, forty years of two coaches. They're like the Packers with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, almost type of deal. You know, yeah. I, even even their coach before that, George King, who was successful and brought them uh, one of their two Final Fours. Uh, he was there from '66, so you're talking about the the lifespan of essentially our parents. They've only had three coaches. That's pretty incredible. Who have all been not just good yeah, coaches, it, but it, but it, literal like Hall of Fame or coaches. So I think you know the discussion we yeah. had previously that was similar was probably with Iowa and Iowa. All of their coaches that were good left. Purdue, all of their coaches have stayed. And you would obviously, again, think that that would have led to a little more top-end success. But nobody has left for better jobs. Um, because there, I mean, aren't yeah. really, there aren't really that many better jobs. Purdue's a great know? job. Purdue yeah. is a really, really good job. Um, I mean, and, and you think about it, you're in a place like West Lafayette. If you can, I mean, like, like we said, Matt Painter's job is very, very safe. He doesn't have to. He's kind of the guy that doesn't have to buy a drink in West Lafayette ever, and he's right. ever been to a Final Four, right? So, so let me interrupt. Safe. Let me interrupt you real quick, just just to be thorough here, okay? Since 1917, they've had one, two, three, four, five coaches. That's fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous, and that was Ward Lambert in 1917. He was a coach for. 30 years and then Ray Eddy who was 15 yeah their their shortest coaching span was George King and he was there for 13 years that's an eternity in college basketball like Sean Miller hasn't even yeah. been in at Arizona for for that long Matt Painter has been there for only 15 years at this point and he's still not even close to like the other three that you three of the four people that succeeded him or preceded him I like Matt Painter he's definitely one of those guys though that I, I want like a time lapse of his face because it definitely gets pudgier and pudgier. And I think his hair just kind of gets greasier and greasier. But I do like Matt Painter as a coach. I will say this offseason, though, he kind of, I don't know what the proper term is, disappointed, I guess, uh, with what he was saying about uh, the two guys that transferred from Purdue. And, uh, you know, there was there was someone else other than Harms as well. I don't know. I think he kind of just threw him under the bus. And, of course, he I think he said it to the ultimate fucking hardo in Dan Dockage, who's like, like the epitome of just shut up and, and look you in, in practice. Otherwise, you're not tough. Uh, you know, so I, I kind of didn't really love like what – uh, what was I can understand where he's and I mean it didn't sound like there was much of a retort from Harms or that other transfer but I, I look at a guy like Matt Harms and I'm like dude this guy was the face of your program uh, for the past couple of years especially last year when it, and, and I think this is the point that Painter was making was last year we weren't so great we lost our dudes like Klein and obviously Carson Edwards who lit it up and you know I appreciate you sticking around but you need to all also be here for the rebuild you can't just be here for the almost final four you got to be here for the rebuild and that's where i kind of say fuck you uh no i don't but i i thought i thought harms kind of got done dirty when the emotion i mean he truly truly looked like he loved playing in front of in front of the paint crew so i kind of felt bad for harms in that respect and i was like come on matt painter what are, what are we doing here 
Yeah, I was kind of surprised to see him transfer as well. Uh, Purdue had such a strange year this last year, too. I mean, they were kicking, they kicked Michigan State's ass and then would lose like three times at home. They had to play, a, you know, every time you thought they were dead, they'd blow like the number two team in the country out. And then every time you thought they were alive again, they'd lose like three straight losses to like Northwestern or whoever the hell it was. So really strange year this last year. But like you said, you know, they went to two sweet 16s and an elite eight and back to back to back years. At some point, the talent has to run out or at least not be as consistent. So it'd be really interesting to see, you know, considering they are one of the most consistent programs in college basketball, uh, if they can rise with these uh, transfer issues they've had and continue their success from next year on. I'm obvious, as a betting man, I would say that, yes, they're going to continue to be good. Uh, just con- betting on when they're going to, you know, break the that, that ceiling, so to speak, is a completely different story, though. Yeah. So please don't ever forget, first of all, that you had Purdue winning the Big Ten last year. Uh, yes, Cannot I let did. you live that down. I- Soup. The season. The season didn't happen. So I'm not. You might True. not think I'm right, but I'm. I'm not think. I'm not necessarily wrong though either. Okay. So you can't play under those conditions. Okay. Come on, man. We can't even work under these conditions. These are just kids, Subi. They're just kids. Good. Good. Good incorporation of the Calipari. Uh, season was definitely lost by the time COVID had hit. But I did have to get that little jab in. And here's what <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Let's say. not. Let's not discuss the fact that the tournament like the conference tournaments had started and stuff, you know, they were just hitting their stride is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, and I guess just the last piece of piece of advice. And I feel like you'd appreciate this Taylor as a dad joke, Purdue, just keep chugging. Ah, on your Drew Brees ish right there, huh? Boilermaker, boilermaker. Great. Indeed. Indeed. All right. So let's keep uh, – actually, we'll just keep talking along. At number 27, it is the Virginia Cavaliers. So uh, they were referenced a lot when we were talking about Purdue just now. And, you know, my two cents on Virginia, it might come off as a little salty. I have nothing against Virginia. I think they're a great program. Uh, but we'll get to that in a second. Let me give you some facts here. For Virginia – they have one national title, obviously, the one that came a couple of years ago. Three Final Fours, block still hot. Uh, ten conference titles, seven Elite Eights, ten Sweet Sixteens, and 23 NCAA tournaments for the Cavaliers. And so when I think of Virginia, they are the modern-day quintessential team that should really thank their lucky stars because they redeemed themselves after the greatest upset in sports history. I don't want to hear about other upsets, even in college basketball. I don't want to hear about, uh, you know, NC State over Houston. I don't want to hear about Georgia. This was a 16 over a 1. Even their title run came with some controversy with Ty Jerome, the, the Ty Jerome double dribble, uh, the foul on Kyle Guy that sent them to the line for three shots. I think both of those came against Auburn. And the Texas Tech out-of-bounds call, I don't know if anyone remembers this, when they slowed down the replay like to just a million frames. And I'm telling you right now, all of the journalists and pundits, what they would have said had Virginia not won that title is, well, you don't need a title to recognize the greatness of Tony Bennett. Uh, The Jay Billis's of the world, the Pat Forties of the world tell you that 
Tony Bennett is fantastic and one of the greatest coaches in modern day basketball, even without a title. And that's probably true as a sane human being, as someone with rational takes, I, I suppose I understand that, but it's not fun to talk about. Uh, what would have been fun to talk about would be how his teams dominated the best conference in America, arguably, and recorded the worst loss in tournament history, let alone even get to a final four. Uh, but as I had mentioned earlier, I think they kind of paid their dues. Heartbreak after heartbreak after consistently proving over the course of a season that they were truly great. And then in that title run, I listed off a couple of the breaks that they received. I think it was long overdue for the Cavaliers. Uh, are some of my thoughts on the Cavs. Taylor, what say you? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's always going to be the debate of what's, you know, as we go through history, because we are too we might be too close to it now, is what's going to be remembered uh, more frequently. They're lost as the number one seed to a 16 seed or their win the next season uh, as a champion. If you're a Virginia fan, obviously you're going to remember the championship. I think as a casual fan of Virginia and a fan of college basketball as a whole, I'm going to remember their upset more than their win. Uh, they have, you know, one of the reasons that they're uh, as high as they are is, you know, they have uh, multiple final fours. They have, uh, eight was it eight elite eights they have? Yeah, nine or seven elite eights. And, you know, I, I go back to that 80s era, even though we talk about, um, you know, their most recent era. That Ralph Sampson era is they, those teams were arguably better than these teams that just won national title, a national title. Uh, Ralph Sampson was far and away like the best player in college basketball. He was an enigma. He was. He was an unbelievable figure in college basketball. He was the national player of the year. He was all everything, all this, all that. He was seven foot three, seven foot four. That he was a just superstar uh, before you know that era of major TV and stuff like that. And those teams were probably the best teams in college basketball. And they have no. You know, they had a couple of Final Fours to show from, from that, but uh, no title, as we kind of previously discussed. They they didn't really have a ton of success prior to the 70s. Uh, they didn't make their first NCAA tournament until 1976, and then Ralph Sampson came about five years after that. So they're not the oldest team in college basketball by any means. So maybe they, if we look at how they compare to some of these teams in front of them and a couple behind them, they don't have a lot of that pre-modern uh, basketball success. But uh, from 75 on, they've been one of the most successful basketball programs in the country. And I think the problem that we have as fans in looking at Virginia is that they play the least exciting version of basketball there is in today's world. Even as the number one team in the country over the last couple of years, you and I are fired up to watch a Virginia game because we love pack line defense and Tony Bennett and all this stuff, right? But I don't think any casual fan is like, man, I can't wait to tune into that 42-40 Virginia game tonight. You know, I think that's maybe a problem in how how they're perceived in, in the college basketball world is that they've got all the success that almost anybody else has. But their style of play, at least as of late, just doesn't lend to a lot of outside fans coming in and being like, oh, you know what? I'm going to sink my teeth into Virginia and take them all the way this year and watch every game. That's why you got like teams like 
North Carolina or UNLV as of, you know, back when they were the running Rebs and stuff like that, that, that people latch onto those teams and talk about those teams. Nobody sits back in 20 years and goes, man, I really loved watching that Tony Bennett era of Virginia basketball, unless you're a Virginia fan. So I actually think that's a great point you bring up, unless you're a Virginia fan. Because if I was a Cavaliers fan, I would just be saying, you're right. We do play boring-ass basketball. I think they beat Louisville in overtime last year, scoring four points in overtime, maybe just two. I, I forget. But it works for them. You know, If I'm a Cavs fan, I say, yeah, it's boring as fuck to watch, but it's very successful. And yeah, if, uh, if I'm the general consensus, I will always remember UMBC more so than Virginia Tech, or excuse me, uh, Texas Tech, right? And I think that's a testament to who Virginia played and, you know, the outcome of, of those games. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that they were able to redeem themselves. Uh, but the story to, to everyone else outside of Charlottesville is, in fact, the 16 over the one because it's never happened before. It's not like an ACC team hasn't won a national title before. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm with you in terms of how I would view this, generally speaking, versus how the Who's would would view it. And that's their, I mean, good for them. That's their prerogative. You know, I'd, I'd be defiant. I'd say I don't care what you think because they've been through hell and back prior to that national title year. I'll, I'm also glad you brought up the Ralph Sampson as well because they years these key Andre Dalt prior to Kyle guy uh they they have been really good and and Ralph Sampson was one of the best players the best player and actually I think I had mentioned NC State over uh Houston I'm pretty sure NC State beat that Ralph Sampson that Ralph Sampson team uh might have been in conference play or maybe the tournament but I remember that was uh that was big news for the Wolfpack so they were just on a I mean they, Ralph Sampson Hakeem Olajuwon goddamn yeah, it's. I'm glad you brought that up because I was just about to dive into that. I think it's interesting as we go through this list to see which teams beat the other teams on our list and how that has affected where we would have put them on our list. In 1981 and 1984, as you kind of just alluded to, Virginia went to the Final Four. And in those two years, they lost to to North Carolina with like James Worthy and and Sam Perkins. And then in 84, they lost to Hakeem Olajuwon and five slam and jamma. If they win those two games over some of the best teams and best programs of all time, again, we're talking about Virginia being so much further up our list, but instead of that, that win by fly by five slam and jamma is probably why Houston was on our list at all. And then the win by North Carolina, again, spoiler alert, they're a little higher than Virginia is on this list, but has a lot to do with why they were even higher on our list uh, than a couple other teams. So I just think that's just an, it's an interesting exercise within an exercise, so to speak, of not only to rank these teams, but to also see who beat who in which helped us make those decisions of where we rank these teams. Well, yeah, I and mean, if you look at Virginia, I started it all off by saying, they're the quintessential team that they're thanking their lucky stars. They nabbed that one. You look at all right. those, I don't know, if I could do a cross-sport reference, the Philadelphia Eagles, they went to like five straight NFC title games or whatever crazy it was. Andy Reid fans have to be thanking their lucky stars. I'm, thank God, you know, the Chiefs got that one, right? I mean, there's a lot of parallels there between Andy Reid and Tony Bennett. But when I say that, it's because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, 
they're they could have very well been lower on this list had they not exercised some of those demons. Sure. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, you know, because we both watched Tony Bennett uh, when he was at Washington State coaching Clay Thompson before he got hired at Virginia. And it's not like Tony Bennett had a shit ton of success at Washington State. So I'll give, I mean, he did, he showed promise. He showed an ability to recruit someone like Clay Thompson, uh, Taylor Rochester, those type of guys. Instituted a defense, the pack line that is now become pretty popular across the country. Uh, Sean Miller uses it as kind of the other big name coach that kind of brought along with that as well. And I'll give Tony Bennett credit for, I'll give Virginia credit for seeing something in Tony Bennett. I'll give Tony Bennett credit for sticking with the system because if I can compare those two guys, Sean Miller and Tony Bennett, who had the same, almost same exact type of path to get to where they are at at the same age, all that type of stuff. Tony Bennett stuck to the system and has a national championship to show for it. Sean Miller tried to adjust that system to do the pack line boring defense, but also then after losing to Wisconsin, which we've discussed ad nauseum on this program already, he tried to adjust his system and that hasn't worked. So that's what makes Tony Bennett such a great coach is he continued to trust the process, so to speak, know that his system was going to work. And then also shout out to Virginia for noticing that Uh, obviously Tony Bennett's dad, Dick Bennett, who, again, was a coach at Wisconsin, like we previously discussed. There's a lot of intertwining here. But uh, shout out to, you know, a lot of credit to Virginia for seeing that in Tony Bennett and a lot of credit to Tony Bennett for sticking with that system. Even after losing in the biggest upset in, like, sports history, he stuck to the system, trusted the process, knew that it was going to work. And it's just so happened to literally the next year. And I think that kind of speaks to the man, Tony Bennett. It is, I think, what, well, again, this was two straight years. Someone asked him, you know, what's different? Or, and nothing changed. Nothing changed after that, that, uh, 16, that UMBC loss versus standing here. You know, for me, everything's the same. And a lot of the time, it's lip, it, it is lip service, it's bullshit. I believe Tony Bennett for sure. So you're right. Good on UVA for spotting a talent like Tony Bennett. Uh, you mentioned his recruiting with Clay Thompson. I actually think that was a better job by Bennett to make him such a good player in college because I don't think Clay Thompson was very highly touted. Uh, if you're an L.A. kid with a dad like Michael Thompson, it's kind of odd that you go up to, to Washington State, but he, we obviously know what Clay Thompson has done. He has his jersey retired uh, in – in uh, Pullman, and he's obviously going to be a Hall of Famer. But yeah, a lot of credit. See, we could still be nice here on Titch. It started off with me basically saying that, well, UVA is just a bunch of lucky bastards. Uh, but now, you know, they are uh, they're good to go. So, hug for the for the who's there. So, uh, let Ralph Sampson, best player, I assume. Yeah. So let's take a look at that. Ralph Sampson, best player, and then. I don't know who did this. It might have been the shark. It might have been you. And as we've seen, it could have been me uh, because I, I've just forgotten, the, you know, the, the, the times that we actually looked at all this. But someone put down fan favorite is Joe Harris. Was that you or the shark or me? Do you remember? Uh, I was not ACC as far as I remember. So I'm going to disagree with that. If I did that, you know, I, I hand up and hug for me for acknowledging and call myself out. 2020 year of accountability that never changed. But Joe Harris, I mean, he's cool. 
but he's just, is he a fan favorite? I mean, he's so fucking boring. And maybe that's, that shares with the identity of like Virginia basketball. No, there's this has someone to, else, right? This has to be Sharks ranking because he has an absolute just uh, like, I'm going to call it an affliction because it's not necessarily a good thing for his. Uh, everything that he wants to reference about college basketball is between that like 2006 and 2011 or 12 era. Every single reference he has is between that era and Joe Harris falls per, kind of right at the t- back end of that. So, so who then who's, I'm trying to think again, cause fan favorite is you have to be close to the fan base. You have to be close to the team. And I, I'm just not that way with every other college basketball team outside of the one in Tucson, but I'm trying to think. I mean, I mean, this has got Kyle Guy. He's got to be one, right? Because he was a five-star McDonald's All-American. Uh, I think he was a five-star. But I, I can't remember the last time UVA got one of those studs coming out of high school. And he stuck around even after um, that that heart, heart-wrenching loss and won them a national title. I referenced those three free throws that he hit against Auburn. The testicular fortitude on Kyle Guy to do that. Uh I would. I mean, Kyle Guy's got to be up there, right? Uh, Brogdon was well liked. Uh, He's boring as fuck too, though. Well, that's the problem. Is you know we have the good fortune, I guess, of looking back and trying not to use recency bias for almost every other team, but they are the most recent. So it's hard to not. I mean, they're the team that brought them their only national championship. So of course that has to be pretty high up there this might be a situation though where ralph sampson could have taken both because uh, he's definitely their most notable alum uh in terms of uh basketball success uh i yeah there's probably a couple other guys in there that we just aren't familiar with but i don't think it's uh out of the realm of possibility or it's even not recency bias to say one of the dudes that brought them a national championship is probably the the fan favorite i think that's completely uh, understandable. I'll tell you who mine is. It's the salt shaker, Jack Salt, that monster of a human being, man. <laughs> that is your boy. That is your boy. For some reason, I just, I mean, he's truly the salt of the earth basketball player. He's the guy that's on the bench when the opponent is shooting a free throw, just blaring, screaming to box out. I mean, at this point in basketball, you know to fucking box out. And he's the one that's just instilling that reminding you and he is getting those box outs as well he's he's good for five very hard fouls down the paint jack salt was my guy on those virginia teams so since you ended the last school with a dad joke i'll go ahead and toss mine in here before we move on if it was shark who was doing the fan favorite here i'd say he had a very cavalier attitude about looking into who the fans really enjoy there at uva today we are sharp today very well done uh, let's go ahead and move along here and actually finish up today's episode or in terms of who we're ranking at 26. It is Marquette. So Marquette number one, national title, three final fours, three conference titles, seven elite eights, 16 sweet 16s, 33 NCAA tournaments. I had told you earlier in the episode that this was a Midwest and mid Atlantic type of show so to recap we have wisconsin midwest maryland mid-atlantic purdue midwest virginia and then here we are with marquette a few thoughts uh here for the boys from milwaukee this is just you know they really got on the map with the Dwayne wade and tom crean team 
I think that's the first time that a lot of people our age were uh, really exposed to Marquette. And it was a, it was an exciting team with an exciting player uh, creating a lot of upsets. They obviously have another great player in Doc Rivers to have come out of Marquette, but they were just a fun ball club that, you know, produced one of the greatest shooting guards of all time in Wade. And they also had those Buzz William teams that were always a lot of fun, but you never really thought of them as a threat. I think you had mentioned Taylor that Purdue, you never thought of them as like a final four team. That's kind of how I felt with Marquette. And I think you could make the case feel with Marquette two years ago. I picked them to beat John ja Morant and uh, Murray state because I, I do love Marcus Howard. And that was an epic mistake. I didn't think that Marquette was going to go very far, but I did think that they'd be able to ride the coattails of one of the greatest scorers that we've seen here in the past 15 years or so. Uh, I never thought the likes, though, of Lazar Hayward, Darius Johnson Odom, who kind of looks like Alien versus Predator, or even Jimmy Butler were going to make noise in the tournament. And now we have the Wojo era and Marcus Howard that I reference. But I will say this for Marquette. If we were to rank the best uniforms, Marquette's powder blues would be number one. And I'm sure I'd get some blowback by the traditionalist jersey guys, but even those traditional uniforms in college basketball, they have some tweaks and faceless. North Carolina, they have a, a classic jersey with the twine, uh, up, or the argyle, excuse me, up and down the side. But those uniforms go through a little bit of, of faceless. Duke the same way. Kentucky the same way. They obviously have the checkerboard. But Marquette's powder blue, I think they would be number one. You know, it's not necessarily like football where Alabama and Notre Dame just simply don't change. Uh, I loved and still do love the Marquette powder blues what are your thoughts on the golden eagles well you didn't even bring up al mcguire who's probably the most important figure in uh in, in fact he is the most important figure because his name is literally on those sweet jerseys that they well, have. Let, let me real quick bring up why i didn't bring up al mcguire because that has been a point of confusion for me for so long up until like maybe five years ago or so every patch is typically the initials of someone so sure. when I saw that, I thought it was A dot L or like Alan Lazard. He's a he's a Packers guy, right? <laughs> like, oh wow, look at that, Wisconsin. I'm on today, baby. Wow, I'm on. look at that, look at Alan that, Alan Lazard. Uh, so I thought it was like someone's initials, just Al. I mean, give me give me an AM or something. But you're right, Al McGuire. Continue. Um, yeah, let me dive back into that. Uh, it's they have an interesting. A group of coaches that have coached there as well. Uh, Tex Winter, decently uh, notable person in college basketball. Al McGuire, Rick Majerus also coached at Marquette before he went on to have his success at uh, Utah. Uh, you, you got Kevin O'Neill, Tom Crean, Buzz Williams, and then now Wojo. But all, all those people moved on to bigger, uh, not necessarily bigger programs, but uh, to different programs after that. Uh, they've had Success, again, across multiple eras, like we've talked about uh, pretty much everyone now going forward on this list. Uh, they have two Final Fours from that era in 74 and 77. Al McGuire's last year was 77, uh, and he kind of retired on top. with at, What a way to go out, win the NCAA title and retire. They have, when in terms of their recruiting ground uh, and their basketball area let's call that we talked about it a little bit with jd is they're not now the wisconsin school 
they're but they're the only other kind of like major school in Wisconsin. They don't really have a football team or anything though. So they have an interesting divide between like the Milwaukee people and the rest of the state, like Madison and university of Wisconsin, where those people go to school. Cause you would, as we previously discussed, if you were a kid in the seventies, 60s, 70s, 80s, and you were a basketball player, you wanted to go to Marquette. You didn't give a shit about Wisconsin. They sucked. So it's interesting how that has changed over the last 40 or 50 years. But Marquette has still remained more than more than viable as a major college basketball pro- program. Uh, they, they made the tournament last year. They had a couple tough years in Wojo's first couple years there, but they seemingly are coming around. And then obviously they had Marcus Howard this last year or these last couple of years, who was a pretty big name in college basketball, national player of the year candidate. Uh, they play now too at the Fiserv Center, which is the newest, one of the newest arenas in college basketball, I'll share that with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, and like you said, some of the best jerseys in the sport. Uh, I'm on their Wikipedia right now. And sadly, they don't have the powder blues as one of their three jerseys that they give you an example of. It should be number one. Yeah, well, aren't aren't they wearing like dark blues? Yeah, that's one of them. But I swear that Marcus Howard, I don't like more of these as last year. So I do want to bring up one point uh, about Marquette that just because we listed it, but we didn't really add anything to why they were they were independent until 1989. So they lack a lot of those conference regular season championships that a lot of these other teams have because they didn't play in a conference until uh, who was their coach at the time until Kevin O'Neill, actually of all people, Kevin O'Neill was their first, was How the first coach. Does Kevin O'Neill have this like coaching resume. He's such a, he's, he's got stopped. such a, he's got such a strange uh, path through like, yeah. his coaching life. And yeah. Do you remember him? He falls upwards. He's like, he's like the less charismatic Lane Kiffin. Do you remember uh hoop dreams? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so like his his huge like dinner plate size glasses and hoop dreams. That's that's a classic. I had to watch that in uh, a class in college, I believe. But uh, that was at the time is probably as big of a recruiting propaganda as there was in the early '90s. I believe is when hoop dreams came out, and they were the focus of that show. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, I don't know if that means anything, but again, just of how of your thought, how you were thought of as a college basketball program, I kind of, you know, to be honest with you, and I, this definitely wouldn't be uh, a popular opinion with Shark, and it probably won't be with you either. Is I I clearly remember those Dwayne Wade days and all of those. I just don't picture Tom Crean as their coach during that time, and I don't know why i why i just yeah why not i don't know i i don't know maybe i was just so enamored with Dwayne wade because Dwayne wade is one of my favorite basketball players of all time but i just can't i literally can't picture tom crean on the marquette sidelines i can easily picture him on the indiana sidelines but for some reason and tom crean was there for like six more years after yeah yeah i don't maybe i just so that is i mean it's a mental block for me i don't i don't know why yeah no that's interesting because I picture Tom Crean equally on the sidelines uh, of Indiana and Marquette because like I mean, a, his, like a normal person would, for some reason, yeah. I just don't, I just don't, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm admitting I'm admitting I'm at fault here. Like I know he was there. Obviously, we we all know this. I just don't really picture him as a part of that team for some reason. And that's such a big. That's the only reason he got any other jobs ever was because of that. So yeah. Well, I think I think it does have to go to the fact that with some of these star NBA players, you hear about uh, they either go to big time colleges or. If they don't necessarily go to big time colleges, they're very in touch and close with uh, with their head coach. I mean, you look at a guy like Draymond Green. He did go to a big time college, but Tom Izzo was there for a lot of final NBA Finals games, and so you just realize, like, oh yeah, obviously. And Tom Izzo may not be the best example because he's a mainstay at, at Michigan State, but it is kind of interesting for one of the greatest shooting guards ever. You automatically think of his time with LeBron, his time with Shaq, his time with Pat Riley. You almost forget. I, I can, I can appreciate what you're saying. You almost forget. Well, fuck. He was recruited by, by Tom Crean. Right. And he was coached up by Tom Crean. Uh, so, I mean, it is, it is an all right point. I hear you making, but I, I do think that, you know, Marquette in Indiana, Tom Crean, Georgia, Tom Crean, I'm going to forget in like three years. No, I, have a feeling. I don't remember that. No, I'm admitting I'm at fault here. I just I, I have a I have a blind eye. I I even remember all the Dwayne Wade commercials from like his rookie year, like fall down nine eight times, get up nine, all that stuff. I just for some reason missed that. So I'm I want to just before I make this next statement, I just want to say that I'm I, I'm generally pro Marquette, and I was a big a big Marcus Howard stand this year. Was a big predictor of his success or hope for hope of uh, or hopeful of his success. But I'm going to say something that might really, I don't think piss off, but it might irk some Marquette fans. And that is Marquette might have the worst campus I've ever stepped foot on in this country. It is just why. Well, Milwaukee's not the most beautiful city to be completely honest with you, but it is just gray and cold kind of run down not my favorite place that i've ever been in the country uh milwaukee's a cool city as a whole it's a lot of you know there's there's a lot of drinking there which is great but there's nothing about marquette's campus that i walked onto and i was like wow this is beautiful i was kind of like oh this is 1968 over and over and over again this has nothing to do with this list at all but i just wanted to point that out there just simply because we have i'm just trying to embrace some debate with some marquette fans in this time where we have no sports going on oh it's good be a lightning rod i wouldn't mind some marquette people coming into our mentions i'm tired of the providence people coming into our mentions and the road just the state of rhode island so let's shift to the midwest uh another little nugget that i will say is that danny putty he played Abed on Community, most famously. Big Marquette basketball fan. I think he actually had a documentary on their, like maybe a 30 for 30 short, something like that, on uh, Marquette's uniforms. I think he also might have had something to do. Uh, he made a movie about the Milwaukee Bucks uh, basketball court, the one with all the, the arrows and things like that. So uh, Danny Putty, one of my favorite actors and, and characters, Abed from Community, big Marquette guy. And I will also say before we get to hugs, uh, we have mentioned this a couple times on the on this countdown. There are teams that are movers and shakers. 
Marquette is a team that could be a mover downwards. I could very well see if the next few years Wisconsin continues on their upward trajectory and Marquette continues to just kind of not win NCAA tournament games, I could see them slipping a little bit to uh, maybe the the early 30s, if you will, and then Wisconsin gets back up into that top 20. So uh, Wojo needs to he needs to get some wins in the tournament, I think, uh, especially with a guy like fucking Marcus Howard. Yeah, we uh, we kind of discussed this with JD a little bit. Teams like Wisconsin and like Gonzaga, kind of the newer era of college basketball, they're literally one national championship away from vaulting like 10 spots up from there where they were at. Uh, 10 might be a little bit for Wisconsin because it's, a, you know, you're now talking top 20, but it seemed like a team like Gonzaga could pass Marquette in two years if they went to, if they won a national championship. And so uh, that's a great point. And I'm not a hundred percent sure of what Wojo's, uh, recruiting class and everything like that looks going forward, but we definitely need to see a little bit more from them instead of just kind of the status quo, make the tournament every other year without any real success. Uh, you know, Buzz Williams, they went to the elite eight and then they haven't gotten past the first round, uh, since then. And that was in 2013. Yeah. I think I'm still pissed at that 12, five Marquette Murray state game. Because everyone was on Murray State. Everyone's like, oh, that's going to be the 12 to beat the 5. I was like, no, damn it. Marcus Howard. And, of course, I mean, John, look at John Morant now. And even then. But, yeah, John that Morant. Was, that, was, that, that was so torn on that because I liked Marcus Howard and I, and I liked John Morant. I can't remember which way that I went. Uh, but it really, I vividly that, remember going Marquette and getting shit for it before. Yeah. And then I eat a lot of, a lot of crow. <laughs> Right. Well, it do be like that sometimes. So, mm, Indeed. All right. Let's go ahead and round out this show with some hugs before we do that. A quick message from our guy, Zach, at the Barnburner Podcast Network. All right, Taylor, let's finish it up. Uh, any hugs for us here? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's really there's so much shit going on in the world right now. Uh, most of it negative, uh, that we could, there's a lot of hugs that we could give out, uh, regarding a lot of the issues we have in the world right now, but I'm going to choose to go with the most recent college basketball story. That's actually really become a big story across sports. And that's, uh, high school prospect Imani Bates, the number one player, not in his class, but in high school basketball as a whole, he was the national Gatorade player of the year as a sophomore. Uh, he's in, in, I've used this word already, but I'll use it again. He's an enigma in college basketball. Everyone wants to say he, you know, people are the next LeBron or next Kevin Durant or whatever. This guy is the next, whoever you want to be. He's the next, next. Uh, he just committed to Michigan state. And the reason that I want to give him a hug and Michigan state a hug, and hopefully the NCAA a hug is that I hope that the NCAA can see this as we better get our shit together by the time someone like Imani Bates, who will be the biggest name in basketball the year he comes into college, because he will be like a Zion Williamson type of level of popularity that we can get our shit together so that all of these prospects stop leaving the college basketball game, or at least create an avenue to, for success for all, you know, these type of players going forward. So I'm going to, I'm going to give them like a, I don't know if it's a hug. I'm going to do a, let's do a hand on the shoulder type of hug and say, Hey, let's figure it out so that you and I have the ability to watch Imani Bates 
play for Tom Izzo in 2022. Oh, that's a good hug. And actually, uh, I was scrambling a little bit in terms of prepping for the show, so I didn't come prepared for a hug. But during the show, I was going to bring up Imani Bates and give a hug. So I'm going to stay with that, but for a different reason. I'm okay. going to give a kind of a, a dual hug. And so I've always been told, especially by my brother-in-law here, he's like, you never, you never tell me when a hug is sincere versus when it's sarcastic. And I'm like, Hey man, that is the whole point. Like that's, that's the, the beauty of a hug. And so I'm going to give one of those dual hugs to dual meaningful hugs to uh, Amani Bates, Michigan state. Number one, because if you're a casual fan, you're like, hell yeah, we got this stud Amani Bates coming to, to play for, for MSU. Like, I've heard even as a casual fan, like I might, if I do research, he's being compared to LeBron James, Zion Williamson, just now here on Titch, I heard. Uh, but here's why it's a sarcastic slash sad hug because he's not coming to Michigan State. Will step foot on a college campus. He is going to either play in the G League or go overseas. So I think the exact audio was. Maybe not the exact audio, but the the first line when he was being interviewed by Jay Harris, he was like, you know, at, at, as of what I know now, I'm going to Michigan State. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how much you're going to put into that uh, with the state of the NCAA coupled with how fucking great this kid really can be and is right now. So this is a hug for the casual Michigan State Spartan fan who probably doesn't know much about the world of college recruiting, who say to themselves, mom, dad, guys, we just got Imani Bates. This is, this is set in stone. I'm happy for your temporary happiness, but it will be short-lived because he ain't coming. And you can all takes expose me on this one. So we kind of have the same hug, but in, I don't want to say in reverse, but kind of varying points working towards the same hug. I guess <laughs> that's the way to put it, you know? Yeah. Either I, I NCA figure shit out, but also sorry, Michigan State fans, you're probably not coming. So I'm with you. Yeah. Hug for Imani Bates, Michigan State, and their fans. We always appreciate you listening to us. We will catch you next time here on Under in College Hoops.